0: this is sage talking if your brain is ready to soak up some natural informative and no bs knowledge then you're in the right place join me in talks about nature people health sustainable businesses and everything in between you won't miss out on the occasional politics and interviews with ecopreneurs either p.s i want to know what you want to know so send in questions or topic requests on my ig at thrive underscore by nature hey and thank you for being here
1: My name is uh, Dr Imogen Napper. I'm a marine scientist and I'm based at the University of Plymouth. Um, my whole research looks at plastic pollution and how it's getting into our oceans and our environment
0: um ways we wouldn't always typically consider. I've seen that you've been to so many places in this world from India and the Arctic Circle and the Mediterranean Sea um to look at plastic pollution throughout the oceans and rivers um and from all that you know about that which what in your opinion should people be more concerned and alerted about the issue of plastic pollution? Um, or is there enough awareness amongst the public in your opinion would you say okay it's fine you know everybody seems to know a little bit and uh, we are kind of tracking it and it's under control or would you say no people you need to be a lot more aware and more concerned about this issue it's a really good
1: question and I think that we can always keep learning and always keep being more aware because science is changing on a daily basis and we're understanding how much more damaging it can be to our environment. So I'd say to the general public and including myself to keep your eyes open and to keep asking questions and to keep being curious and to understand what you can do in your own lives to benefit the environment. So for in terms of plastic, if you see some litter on the floor and it's safe to do so, pick it up and pick it, put it in the bin because There'll be a whole array of different reactions to happen from that. The first one is that you've stopped litter being in the environment. You stopped it potentially damaging or hurting an animal and littering our, our wonderful environment that we've got around us. And then the second thing is someone might watch you and they might see you put this crisp packet in the bin and then they'll be inspired to do it themselves. So there's a whole chain reactions of things that we can do and always know that sometimes the smallest action can still have a huge impact
0: and that's really funny that you said that um, with another person seeing you because I find sometimes um, for a while we always used to take A bag or something on walks so that we could uh, pick up litter and sometimes I found myself pointedly looking around to see if anybody is watching (laughs) kind of like an everyday call to action to say you know maybe you should do this on your walk as well um (laughs) so that's really funny that you said that yeah obviously there are um a lot of different things that we can change in our everyday um lives um next to or were first and foremost governments um, and obviously the industry has to change a lot of things to make this more accessible but why um, personally is this topic of plastic pollution um, of such importance to you where did that come from?
1: It never seemed obvious but now when I look back my mum always says a quote where you can't connect the dots going forwards but you can connect the dots going back and there's a few instances and stories in my life that have got me to where I am in research I grew up in a small seaside town called Clevedon, which is in the southwest of the UK. And I was very lucky that I could go to the seafront on a regular basis. It's not tropical. It's not hot. It's often not sunny. Uh, It's very much a quintessentially British town with two P machines. And we have an old Victorian pier. But there's something about just standing and looking at the ocean and uh, feeling connected to the sea. And on a good sunny day where it's nice and clear, we can actually look over the sea to our neighbouring country, Wales. Uh, and some days it looks really close, like you could touch it. But when I was younger, I never remember there being any litter or plastic on the beach. And I'll be honest, I do not think I even considered it. I don't think I ever thought in my head that there could be rubbish in the sea that's going to wash back out at us. But now I go back home to the same beaches And there's beach cleans, there's fishing rope, there's litter. So it's almost like I've seen that change in my lifetime. Uh, And it really upsets me and it angers me, but has given me that push and that motivation to want to be part of the solution. And then the other story that is quite significant is I was uh, at school in Tickenham, which is just a, a town next to Clevedon where I grew up. It was a very small school. Uh, It was uh, surrounded by farms, and there was only sixty people in the whole school. The uh, charity event we decided to do a charity balloon release, where each child in the school basically sponsored a balloon, and then parents would uh, donate money towards that sponsorship. So we had around sixty balloons, and on the end of each balloon there was information about the school, and we asked if anyone to who found the balloons to turn it back to us. So we could have a competition to see whose balloon got the furthest. And I remember being in the playground and uh, hearing the countdown, five, four, three, two, one. And we all released our balloons off into the air and it was a race to see whose balloon was going to get the furthest. And I remember being in the village hall with my mum a few weeks later. And there was a map of the UK in the front. And we were watching one of the teachers about to put some pins in there uh, to see who was the winner. And out of 60 or so balloons, uh, only two were returned. And one made its way all the way to France. And a farmer who found it in his field actually returned some produce of uh, his farm. But I remember saying to my mom, what happened to the other 60 or so balloons that maybe fell into the ocean and it was that curiosity that's kept with me until now
0: oh that's a lovely story yeah the thing um I mean the balloons is like an example I think of that how plastic is so ingrained uh, into our lives and how we're taught so young that is something that um is not dangerous and just uh, a very you know an everyday life thing whereas this one balloon has such you know, huge consequences that goes beyond that, where you could say, okay, maybe in the schoolyard, um, every child could plant a flower or something like mm-hmm. that, and not um, maybe using balloons, but teaching really from a young age, um, that they're different and better ways to do something like that. Um, and that is that is very a very inspirational story and also it it sounds like a storybook a story you know one of those poster stories of <laughs> how somebody came um to kind of realize that but yeah lovely if we take like the uk for example um you already talked about how you know plastic um, ends up everywhere in the oceans for example um, if we take something other than the balloons but just some regular everyday plastic items in the UK for example if y- you as a consumer take out the trash plastic specifically and it gets taken away by the garbage truck can you quickly run us through the journey that that trash uh, takes um, if it were then to end up in the ocean from our doorstep? yeah it's
1: tricky it's really tricky because there's so many different avenues for how plastic can get into the oceans so actually having waste management and pickup trucks for rubbish so rubbish trucks come and pick up our waste is a huge benefit to our society we're very lucky because in some countries around the world they they don't have access to that so by me putting the things that aren't recyclable into a rubbish bag. It gets picked up by the rubbish truck. The rubbish truck then goes around my neighbourhood and takes everyone else's waste. Uh, Then it will go down to uh, a landfill site, unfortunately, Um, I believe in Plymouth, and it's put into landfill. It keeps building and building and building up. We eventually cover it with soil or some other covering, and then we move on to the next landfill site. So actually in Plymouth, Our leakage from landfill is probably quite small, but it's all of the other ways that plastic can get into the environment. So in countries where there are no, or are no potential rubbish trucks, um, in India I was working in a lot of local communities that were next to the River Ganges and all rivers lead out to the sea. And because they had no official waste management system, unfortunately the only way that they could get rid of rubbish was to put it in the river. And if they didn't put it in the river, then they had an unmanaged landfill site, which can be quite dangerous, um, quite, can be quite unsafe, uh, because you've just got unmanaged food and products and things can be like, quite dangerous to our health. The other ways that they can get into our environment is through the clothes that we wear, potentially from the face scrubs that we use, from people just leaving their litter on the beach, uh, the use of fishing rope and discarding it at sea, Uh, someone asked me once what's the way that we're going to fix the plastic problem but there's not one easy fix it's going to be lots of chapters of the story that build together to accumulate to fixing ocean health
0: yeah I mean um, sometimes I mean you hear about one I think garbage uh, truck um, full of rubbish ending up in the, in the ocean every minute, I think it was. How from like a European country where many of us think, uh, for example, in Germany, the Netherlands, um, where we think, okay, our trash will never end up in the ocean because we have, um, you know, very well managed waste management. How can from European countries... Um, a piece, the, the piece of plastic that you threw into the bin end up in the ocean? I think the best way to think of it is think of all the other ways
1: that plastics getting into the ocean. The first piece of research that I did looked at microbeads and cosmetics, and I actually used to use them, and I never thought that I was washing my face with plastic. So these microbeads were tiny plastic particles that were pushed into facial scrubs to act as exfoliants. Uh, but no one knew how many could be in one bottle. So I got loads of facial scrubs around the UK, around Plymouth. I extracted all of the plastic in the lab and it took me ages because the filter kept clogging because there was so much plastic in there. And we found that in one bottle, there could be up to 3 million tiny plastic pieces. So on a squirt on your hand, there could be over 10,000. So every time if you had these products and you were washing your face, over 10,000 tiny plastic particles could go down the drain, potentially through the sewage treatment works and then into our ocean. And let's be honest, there's a ways that we just don't consider plastic getting into the ocean, but it's exactly the same as if we were to put rubbish in a bin and then unfortunately, let's say that crisp packet escapes and made its way into the ocean. It, it's still a plastic piece that's making its way into the environment, but just through another Another entry point, where we were able to take that research to consumers around the world and to industry and say that these are completely not necessarily or not necessary. We can use natural products instead like sugar or salt and stop millions of microbeads potentially entering the environment. And uh, it was really exciting to be part of that change and that legislation making them illegal, which shows that a little difference can make a huge impact.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. Um, but how, let's say, I mean, these little micro beads um, and pieces of plastic that, for example, would be in those face scrubs, that obviously is already very, very tiny pieces. Um, but how if a piece of plastic is, is just floating around in the ocean, how exactly does that plastic break down and erode over time when it's just floating through the water, and what happens with the tiny pieces of microplastics that are floating around in there? So this is the big topic of discussion at the moment of how exactly does plastic
1: break down and in what time frame, because we truly at the moment don't know. We've got lab experiments that can try and uh, replicate different environments and temperatures and sunlight Uh, Plastic was only invented 100 years ago. And now we make so much of it, it's just infiltrated our lives. And it's because it's so useful. And it's actually a fantastic material. But it's the amount that we make for single single use applications. That's uh, really the
0: troublesome thing. But it- yeah, exactly. When you because when you said um, plastic was only invented about a hundred years ago. That's what I was wondering. I see so many, you know, um, posts and these that say, oh, if you throw this away, it's going to break down in five hundred years or so many years. I'm like, how? How do you know that it will break down there? I mean, obviously that would have to be done. And as you said, something like a lab. Um, but as you said, it's not even been around for that long. So how would you really know? Yeah, uh,
1: to my awareness, it's all estimations. And uh, we did a little bit of research on it, looking at different biodegradable and compostable plastics and uh, normal standard plastics and identifying how quickly or not quickly they could break down in the environment. Uh, We found that a biodegradable bag that was in the sea for three years could still hold a full bag of shopping. So it's still functional, but once it's in the ocean, it's gonna be battered around by waves. Uh, the salt is quite abrasive and c- corrosive uh, in the marine environment. Uh, but one of the main things that happens is sunlight. Uh, so it's called photo-oxidization. So with sunlight and the sun rays going onto a plastic, it basically, introduces an oxy- oxygen molecule into its polymer matrix and that can break up the carbon the hydrocarbon chain uh, and over time that's going to keep happening smaller pieces smaller fragments are going to come off it and then they're going to get distributed to other areas around the sea they could potentially get biofilms of different bacteria microbes on there which can make it heavier which means that it could sink down to the bottom of the ocean or into the water column, or it could stay buoyant and on the top. So it's really a whole 3D look of how plastic breaks down and where it goes.
0: Yeah, let's, let's talk about that, that phrase breaking down, because I mean, if it's, if it's plastic, it's, um, you know, it's a byproduct of or the the oil industry, and I mean there are some plastics or that are not real plastic that are marketed as the the greener kind or the compostable kind that are something in a natural um, uh, material like cornstarch, for example, which can really break down but even if it says compostable I mean then what is breaking down because I mean it doesn't it, no matter how small it gets it's still you know an an intruder and a pollutant in the environment is it not so it depends on
1: how it's labeled and what it's made out of and I'll be honest it's really confusing and it can be If it's confusing to scientists, it's definitely going to be confusing to the consumer. Yeah. (laughs) And I used to think that they were a big benefit and they were going to fix the plastic problem. But we buried some biodegradable compostable plastic bags. So we buried them in the soil, we submerged them in the sea, and we left them hanging outside. And what we found over a period of three years is the ones that were left outside fragmented really quickly. They are going into smaller and smaller bits, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're breaking down. It just means that they're fragmenting because of that photo I told you about and the introduction of that ox- oxygen molecule into the uh, hydrocarbon chain. The ones that were in the soil and in the sea, well, it's really interesting. So the compostable bag completely disappeared into the sea- in the sea. What disappeared into, we're not entirely sure, but I know some researchers that are looking into that. The compostable bag in the soil after three years was still there, but it was very weak. However, the biodegradable bag, both in the soil and in the sea, could still hold a full bag of shopping. And when I hear the word biodegradable, my mind automatically thinks, oh, it's gonna break down really quickly in the environment. If it was accidentally to make its way into the ocean, it's gonna disappear in a couple of weeks, or maybe even a month. But I'd never think years And to me, that sounds almost like consumers are getting confused and it can be greenwashing because you think that you're doing a positive thing for the environment, but it's just maybe not labeled or marketed the right way. Where often these biodegradable compostable plastics have to go into an industrial composter where there's really high moisture, high heat, maybe a certain pH or certain microbes to help break it down, to go back into its most basic components. They're breaking it up into its elemental components of carbon and hydrogen and something that's not going to be a solid mass that could still count as a pollutant.
0: Yeah, so basically then the difference between, let's say, quote unquote, regular plastic bag made out of virgin material and um, another plastic bag next to it that is made still out of plastic, but it's labeled biodegradable and it's not a natural material like uh, cornstarch or sugarcane or something else. Um, it just basically is breaking down faster than the virgin material that is not labeled compostable.
1: Um, maybe not even breaking down faster. I mean, the ones that we put in the sea, the virgin plastic bag and the biodegradable plastic bags, both were still there. In fact, the ones that were losing the most strength were the virgin plastic bags the biodegradable bags were so strong they just need well the biodegradable bags might need really specific conditions to break down that they're not going to get in the environment so there's almost a benefit of having a virgin plastic bag where you know it's going to be strong and sturdy and last in loads of different environments for a long period of time that you can use again and again and again whereas the biodegradable bags because there's so many different formulas and material types it's hard to classify them under the same umbrella
0: yeah so basically also just greenwashing <laughs> um, What? so in your opinion because I mean there are many many types of plastics there are harder plastics softer plastics um, a mix of different materials um, what kind of plastic should really be from the ones that exist now be banned first and without question in your opinion is there one? Oh, I don't think I've ever been asked this you know what I absolutely have
1: no idea but let me think from the top of my head I've always heard that polystyrene is the worst plastic because it takes
0: the longest to break down Polystyrene, or better known as styrofoam, comes in many different forms like to-go cups, lunch trays, food containers. The foam is made by processing chemicals such as benzene and ethylene into polymer chains and combined with hydrocarbon gas. The two above-mentioned chemicals are listed as cancer-causing substances, and because of its chemical composition, styrofoam is virtually worthless in terms of recycling, a pretty problematic material in many ways.
1: In my opinion, you see polystyrene used a lot for takeaway packaging and it breaks down into those tiny little squidgy fragments. And because I live in Plymouth, uh, if the seagulls ever get into the bin and someone's had a take away, all these py- polystyrene balls all down the street. Um, but something that's really key and that we discuss a lot is that there's so many different types of plastic, You know, like acrylic to polyester to PET, uh, you know, it's a whole rainbow of different plastics, and they can have their own chemicals in, like flame retardants, and they can have colours that makes them all different. Uh, and what we need for recycling is just a good few, you know, solid plastic types, so that all recycling plants know how to manage this one type of plastic. Yeah. The problem is, there's so many different types of plastic that. It means that we can't manage them all because all of them will break down in certain ways or you can't merge a polyethylene with um, like um, uh, acrylic because they're completely two different types of plastic. So you want to melt them down with the same plastic
0: type. That sounds pretty complicated. (laughs) Um, So then uh, talking about that, because obviously plastic is a huge issue and one would hope that um, governments, you know, are doing their part, which as in most environmental things, they are just not. Um, are, are there any countries that are doing a decent or a good job with policies surrounding plastic? Are there any um, new positive developments um, that you have um, kind of witnessed in maybe the last few years? Yeah, I'd
1: say that loads of countries are constantly on to the fact that we need to be more aware of plastic pollution and that countries have big changes to make to make sure that they protect their environment. Uh, What's quite tricky is the ocean, we're all linked by the ocean. So something that could drop into the ocean in England could have the potential to maybe make its way around the world, uh, depending on ocean currents. So it's almost like we need to all agree together how to best protect the ocean and have similar rules and regulations. Thinking about the UK, uh, we've banned microbeads, albeit it was a a bit slow. We could have been faster, but that happened. And now we're starting to tackle single-use plastic, like um, straws, for example. Uh, We really don't need plastic straws for our food. However, some people might, like the elderly or the disabled. So it's making sure that there's still access and uh, availability for them if they need it. Uh, so it's a lot about thinking outside the box and then I know some countries in Africa have banned uh, plastic carrier bags I think if you're found of one there's the potential that you can go to prison Uh, so it's a lot of these small steps and seeing what the main plastic item is in your country or something that's completely unnecessary thinking about how we can eradicate it or find solutions to make it better
0: yeah are there any news of like some really radical groundbreaking um, policies or legislations um, in any country or maybe just a state within a country where you said, wow, this is a really like very radical and, and uh consequent uh, step that has been taken in terms of plastic pollution. Let me have a think. None are popping to the top of my head. I think
1: for the majority they will be been- um fairly expected i guess the one that i always think of is if you've got a, a plastic carrier bag in certain uh, african countries you might go to prison because that seems like yeah. a, uh,
0: that seems very radical yes. yeah
1: quite an extreme step uh I, it's not policy but something else that i think of is um my boss called heather coldway she sets up this amazing initiative in the Philippines where fishing net and fishing rope can be a huge contributor to ocean plastic waste because often there's nowhere to put broken net and broken line so it's put into the oceans uh, because the oceans will take it away and uh, it won't be seen and they don't have to deal with it but Heather decided to make an initiative where we could collect all of the broken fishing nets and line, get people in the local community in the Philippines to help the fishermen clean it up because a fishing line and fishing net is made out of a really strong plastic uh, called PET um, and nylon, which can be used for a variety of different uh, objects like carpets and making, or anything like chairs and tables and clothing. Once they clean it up and they'll get money for cleaning it up, so it's giving back to the local community, then that net and that fishing line is then shipped away to a a factory and it's used to make carpets. So it's a really good way of showing how there can be a circular economy and that we can continue to use plastic and continue to see how beneficial it can be. But there's ways that we don't have to discard it or just treat it as waste. We can give it a whole new life altogether.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I think I also recently read about a woman. Um, I think she lives, uh, on the African continent. She uses um discarded plastic. I think to make really solid brick, uh, for to build um, you know, homes and schools. Uh, and I think it's just really sad. Also, that you as a person who um you know is following this doesn't have you know, that not one really radical um, action by a government, um, you know, can come to mind just like that, because you would hope that with um, huge issues like so many ideas and um, and new things that governments are coming up with to tackle these issues. um, But um, sadly, it's, it's often a, let's say, the really groundbreaking things are coming from you know, people from initiatives, NGOs. So in our daily lives, which are some of the most harmful things that we do uh, regarding plastic pollution and how? what are some important, um, small but really significant changes that we could do to them to kind of reduce our, our, the harm that we're doing? Yeah, I really think that you just hit the
1: nail on the head and maybe I can't think of uh, any initial radical policies because i haven't had enough coffee this morning but i'm definitely after this uh recording and this podcast gonna go and have a a deeper dive into if there's been any changes Uh, and it makes me it reminds me that this is a really complicated matter and there's not one easy fix and it's governments it's industry and consumers and research working all together to see where we can best fit in to put our skill set, our expertise, and our time to to not pollute and be a better citizen in this earth, on this planet, so we can try and protect it.
0: Yes, try- definitely. But um, I'm sorry to to just. Uh, um, for one moment, um, kind of get back to that because um, I don't know if you know her, but um, Kate Nelson, she is an ocean advocate and she lives um, a zero waste uh, lifestyle. And she continually has very good updates on what is going on around the world as well with um, policies um, on plastic and things like that. And I do have to say that in in any of these environmental issues, I am continually very disappointed in like the lack of. Um, innovative ideas and um, just any willingness to tackle these problems by our governments. Um, as you said, sometimes I have a feeling it's also because these issues are so huge and they're so overwhelming. So maybe just like regular people, Mm -hmm. there's also sometimes this not knowing where to start. And sometimes they think, you know, and if they don't know, they should just get somebody like you or (laughs) activists or ocean advocates who really, you know, are bringing in their ideas if if they don't know or are not willing to tackle those problems.
1: It's really shown me the power of people and uh, people talking and discussing and being shocked. And it's really shown me that people love the environment. You know, even if you're in the city and you can go for a walk in the park or if you can go for a walk near the beach, you just feel connected to it and you want to protect it. And we all share it. And I do get annoyed at governments that decisions are often made too slow and it's not at the the focal point of discussion a lot of the time. And I understand with other things that happen in the world that there's going to be a new focus, but we should always be discussing environmental matters because it's just going to keep getting worse unless we make changes.
0: Yes, and I mean the environmental matters as well are the cause of everything else that is happening. So I think tackling that first is better than putting band-aid solutions on any arising issue that comes from you know the problems that we are creating in the environment
1: yeah we 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 do need to make some potentially unpopular decisions I remember in the UK when we had a 5p bag charge the plastic bags in the shops because we don't need to take so many plastic bags it's just trying to remember that when we go shopping to bring the ones that we have at home uh, but there were a small number of people that were saying that they don't want to pay 5p for a bag it's their right to have a plastic bag but once the charge came in and then the behavior changes happen people start remembering their bags more they don't want to pay the 5p bag charge which arguably it's not a huge levy it's just 5p but it was enough to try and um, stop people from taking these plastic bags from the shops And now we've seen plastic bag usage drop by 80%, which is huge. Uh, Another another example I think of is for face masks. I uh, remember in COVID uh, when I was told in the UK that I had to wear a face mask when I was going into a shop. Uh, I kept forgetting it. I had to keep going back home. And it it took a while to ingrain that behavior change in me. Uh, And now it feels weird if I, I go into a shop and I don't have it because the rules have changed. So it's it's just making sure that people are aware of why we're doing it and the benefits it can have to the environment and giving people that breathing space to make those changes and helping them along rather than pointing the finger.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, and that's also so good why you're here, because obviously education is one of the most crucial aspects in this entire thing, because Why should you change something if you don't know what is behind it and why you should change it? So um, coming back to which are some of the most harmful things um, that we do in our everyday lives regarding plastic pollution that we may not know are so harmful.
1: (laughs) There's actually so many things. But again, you hit the nail on the head. It's like how does someone know it's damaging or polluting if they've never been told? Education really is the most powerful tool that we have for protecting the environment and making people aware. I've done a bit of research looking at uh, clothing, because the majority of the clothes that we wear are made out of plastic. So when we're wearing them, they're constantly shedding fibres into the environment. I mean, even as I'm sat chatting to you right now, the t-shirt that I'm wearing is releasing fibres that I'm potentially breathing in or it's potentially going onto the sofa I'm sat on. Uh, If you think about what Uh, dust is it's basically just dead skin cells and plastic fibers from clothing and carpets so something that we can do is we don't need as many clothes as we buy and I'm definitely guilty of this because I love buying clothes and shopping but when we have our our wardrobes and we really only wear a few key items uh, regularly we feel like when we have events or if something breaks we should just buy something new but actually we could reuse something or we could fix it or we could borrow something from a friend and we don't have to live in this culture where everything has to be brand spanking new and shiny. And then something else that we can do is only wash our clothes when we need to, because washing our clothes can release hundreds of thousands of plastic fibers, similar to the microbeads into the drains and potentially through the sewage treatment works and then into the oceans. So just have a constant think about what you 're wearing and how your clothing could have an impact to the environment
0: yeah, definitely. I think the um, part about the clothing and the synthetic fibers is something that people don 't really realize that much um, that it's found as well as you said through breathing it in through drinking it, because I think eighty percent of the water contains um, microplastics already and all that different um all these different um little fibers and pieces of everything that we use in our everyday lives that must go somewhere and i mean um microplastics i think there was just this like groundbreaking news where it said it was found in placentas and in, and in blood and it's on the top of Mount Everest and on the bottom of the ocean yeah. so basically it's everywhere and I, I don't know if you've ever heard of them but there are these wash bags that are called guppy friend wash bags that are actually trying I mean I myself you could probably look at those uh, wash bags we have them at home to um wash synthetic fibers in because um, our entire family only shops clothing secondhand. And I also try as well to just buy natural fibers because obviously if I'm wearing something that is synthetic, uh, I, I will have to wash it at some point, And I know it will release uh, microplastics and fibers. So this wash bag, maybe um, I'll send you the link and you could look at it if you've never seen that before and see how good this technology really is. You could probably have a more informed and better look at it, um, which is supposedly just um, should reduce um, and catch these fibers in the bag so that they don't go straight into the water or at least not all of it.
1: Yeah, it's funny you should say that actually, because I did do some research on the guppy bag. Um, Following some research that we looked looking at how many fibers were coming off our clothes in a typical clothes wash, we found that maybe 700,000 fibers could come off. And then that led to some research that we did with National Geographic, where we tested different inventions, such as the guppy bag, that could be incorporated into the washing cycle to try and stop fiber release from clothing. And we found two products out of uh, six that were successful. Um, one of them was the guppy bag and another was a, a filter that would be included into the washing machine. And it would act similar like a tumble dryer when you remove the fluff uh, before you use it. It would um, filter the water collecting any of the solid microfibers um, so that you could remove it
0: before your next wash. And then what potentially could you do with those? Because I sometimes think, um, because the first time we used it, my mother was so, um, she was like, she came to us and she said, look, if I turn this around, like all the fibers are coming out of the bag. I never realized, you know, that the clothing shed so much. And what would you do with those tiny little fibers? Because I mean, okay, if you have an entire you know a solid piece of plastic you may have more of an idea where to store it or where to keep it so that it doesn't get into to the environment but how would you store what would you do with those tiny little fibers that you can even breathe in yeah again a
1: really good question it's a, a hot topic at the moment because at the at present times uh the the main piece of advice is to put it in the bin because it's in a controlled waste environment. So it's not going into the natural environment as such. But I know there's some innovators and some very uh, clever people out there that are thinking what can be done with the fluff once it's collected. And is there something else that we could do with it and maybe make it another product or fill duvets or pillows or insulation for housing. So there's definitely a... There's definitely some uh, big brains out there
0: thinking of what to do next. Yeah, I think this is always so crazy to think how plastic is so prevalent and how it was introduced into everyday lives. To At first, I think it was kind of by the the plastic and essentially fossil fuel industry. Something like I think there's also a very famous um, picture of one of the first ads where there is a mother and she has made her um family, uh some some dinner and then um instead of having, you know, regular cutlery to just wash off and use again as you would with cutlery, because why mm. would you throw your plates away after eating from them? She has just this huge tray filled with um classic plates and cups and cutlery and she just throws the entire thing in the bin. Um and this is kind of sold as a very convenient way of doing your you know, of living your everyday life whereas this um you know, just using some soap and water um is seen as less convenient than having, you know, this maybe takeaway nowadays, uh takeaway trash which has been extracted uh and then gone through this whole like from oil and then gone through this whole process of producing it to what it is and then not knowing what to do with it at at the end this cost is so much incredibly higher than just using a little bit of soap and water and washing your dishes so it's so crazy how kind of like this industry made society um believe and then ingrained itself in this way that is like this is more convenient this is good this is easy because i i mean if I, i i did an interview with my grandmother actually Um, who was born um, around the time of the second world war and um, it's so crazy how different just going to like a store how their everyday life what they use how it was so different and how it then was introduced to say you this is so much less convenient you're going to do this differently and Now we're here, you know, and people think, How are we ever going to do it differently? And it has been done differently before. So I think this is something in the future where, as you said, maybe connecting the dots and looking into the past to kind of source some inspiration from there. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I've been speaking to my
1: partner, Phil, his grandma, and she washes up her cling film to reuse it again. And There's commitment. (laughs) Yeah, obviously commitment. And there's definitely skills and expertise that we can use in the past. Yeah. Plastic has just massively revolutionized our lives because everything just gets so much more busy and time is valuable. So it's just trying to make our lives more convenient. But I truly think that plastic is... I've done a whole flip reverse. I used to think that plastic was evil and the only way to solve the plastic problem was to get rid of it but actually it's an incredible material that's really durable and really persistent and if used in the right way could last for generations and generations. So it's making sure that we make plastic for activities, for food containers, for things that are going to be very durable and persistent like plastic itself.
0: Yeah um, I think definitely one thing to think about is just that probably, as you said, there may be certain activities or in research, um, in science, there's as well so much plastic used. I mean, if, if you go diving, for example, there are so many things that, um, you know, how would you replace plastic in that? But I think just using plastic in a way that is meant for specific activities where it cannot be replaced or where, where it is the best option and not creating throwaway plastic that is unnecessary and just serves to make that industry money because I mean right now I think they also or a few months ago it said that they were the plastic industry was trying to produce more um, plastic to make money from that also plastic around you know certain food items like uh, bananas and there were some insane p- pictures of like other countries where there were pineapples like completely um, just um, like with this plastic molded around it which is so unnecessary mm-hmm. so using plastic as you said for specific instances and not just throw away plastic that we really really don't need in our everyday lives
1: yeah is eradicating the unnecessary plastic yeah and sometimes single-use plastic might be necessary like the the start of covid and We were worried about our health and our family's health. So to protect each other, we started wearing more plastic. And that could be the single use face masks, gloves, any uh, personal protective equipment. But now we're coming out of the COVID era, we can start thinking about how we don't need to use those bits of plastic anymore that will create waste. So it's all just thinking in your head and discussing with your friends and family, what is not necessary in our lives and what is necessary. And where, where does that fit into our lifestyle? Because often a lot of plastic free items are more expensive. So it's trying to ensure that the industries and governments make things cost-effective so that everyone can be part of the solution at a cost-effective level.
0: Yeah, and I think, but also really important um, just to look at yourself critically as well sometimes Even if you're saying, okay, governments and industries are not doing the the proper job of making this more accessible for everybody, Um, even if that is so, life is not always fair. And sometimes I think if, if we have or if you have the resources and you're capable of it, just looking at yourself and your life critically and educating yourself a bit and saying, okay, there are Uh, very popular people out there who are showing their zero waste lifestyles which is not accessible for everybody but just seeing how far people can get with reducing their waste and their plastic and coming up with innovative and often much cheaper ways to live their everyday lives um, is just maybe could be some inspiration to say okay maybe I have to be a little critical and see that I am very capable of doing some more even if maybe the initial transition phase takes a little bit of education and maybe being a little uncomfortable or feeling inconvenienced at the start before making a transition Um, but coming out of like the individual responsibility if you were to govern the world for a day and there were three policies um, or, or changes that um, you could um, make or introduce to tackle this problem consequently and head on. Uh, would you have any three changes um, that you would say, yes, I would enforce those today? Oh, good question, uh,
1: in a day. But the one thing I'm very passionate about and I'd love to see more of is getting further education in schools primary schools and secondary schools about one how wonderful our planet is and two environmental issues and why we need to protect it because the people at school are the future leaders they're the future parents they're the future dustbin men they're the future uh, businesses uh, they're the future bosses in industry and if we can teach people from a young age how wonderful our environment is and why we need to protect it and that's going to be in their back of their head all throughout their life and their career. Because unfortunately, this is the problem that we're passing down to the younger generation. And we need to do better ourselves, but we also need to empower those that are following us.
0: Yeah, that's definitely education, as we talked about. One of the most important things I'm as well trying to bring education about the climate crisis into schools, which is incredibly hard, um, mm-hmm. and people are not very you know welcoming and running down my door, mm-hmm. but I will definitely continue trying to do that, and um, what is what is another thing you would be doing? Maybe a policy you would introduce um, that is specific to the way plastic is handled or produced? Hmm um.
1: I'd look at single-use plastic and I would identify what's unnecessary and get rid of it, making sure that it's not affecting any members of the community or ensuring that they are still cared for. Uh, Like an easy one is like looking at plastic straws or carrier bags. We've said a single-use plastic item, we've said education. And then it's a little bit out there, but let's say I had all the money in the world and uh, I'd give everyone a day off from work, a public holiday and organise lots of buses around the UK to take people to the coast to get involved in a community beach clean. I really think it helps connect people with the wonderful environment Uh, and gets people together. It's a bit of fun and we're cleaning up the coast before plastic gets back into the ocean. So that's my crazy idea.
0: (laughs) That's a great idea. I think that's, I mean, seeing something firsthand is always very powerful and experiencing it, not just maybe reading about it on the news or reading articles on it, but actually being there, seeing the plastic floating around uh, and, you know, cleaning it up and feeling how you feel afterwards, knowing you've done something like that that day and preventing plastic from entering the ocean is definitely very powerful and a lovely idea. Um, yeah. So can you recommend any, I know there's so many like, petitions and initiatives out there. Can you recommend any plastic um, petitions or treaties or anything like that, that I could link down below that would be important um, for the listeners to sign?
1: Uh, there's two that spring to mind and it's charities in the UK that are very close to my heart. The first is Surface Against Sewage and they're all focused about protecting our rivers and our oceans and community engagement and getting the community behind uh, big petitions to benefit our planet. And the other is Marine Conservation Society, and they're focused on education of our wonderful oceans and bringing that education particularly into schools. Uh, They've got some amazing petitions that are constantly going on. So please do check them out, because they're two fantastic charities.
0: That's wonderful I will link those down below and uh, so to everybody who's listening this is your action you can actively take today and be a part of this so thank you very much Imogen for being there it was a pleasure talking to you and thank you for sharing all your knowledge. Thank you so
1: much thanks for inviting me on.